111 is an acrostic, just like Psalm 112 is. You'll notice I put on there, there's uh, 9, 10, 24, 34, 37, 119, and 145 are the Psalms that are acrostics, which means that uh, the first sentence begins with an A, the second one with the Hebrew B or whatever, right on down to the 22 letters. And if you want to see what those, the names of those letters are, then you can go in, uh, to Psalm 119, and there's 22 sections, and each one of them began with the Hebrew letter, the successive uh, alphabet of the uh, Hebrews, and every uh, sentence in each one of those sections of Psalms, 22 sections of Psalms, uh, begin with the letter that's above it. Uh, like Aleph is A. Uh, some of the letters coincide pretty much with ours, but others don't, like Beth. And, but then you get into other terms of where you wouldn't know what they were. Uh, but, um, but we see then that... Uh, uh, this is one of the forms of Hebrew poetry that's just really amazing. Psalm 119, especially with all those verses, about 162 verses, and they all are in an acrostic form. But another fascinating book that is all acrostic is the Book of Lamentations. And if you look at the Book of Lamentations, you'll see that it has 22 uh, verses in each in chapters 1, Chapters 2, chapters 4, and chapters 5. And each one of those verses begins with Aleph, Beth, right on down the list. Uh, and of course, they're lamentations. So he's going through the ABCs of, uh, of his lamentations or crying about Israel uh, being captured and taken back to Babylon. But um, then the middle of the third, or the third chapter or the middle chapter it's got 66 verses. And those 66 verses begin with A-A-A, B-B-B, C-C-C, as far as what we are. And so it's a triple uh, acrostic there. But then you get into chapter, 20, uh, chapter 3, verse 22. And so right in the middle of these acrostics from chapters 1 to 5, you have some of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible. In chapter 3, verse 22, we know through the Lord's mercy we are not consumed uh, because of his compassions, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. He saves my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. And of course, we even sing that song from that verse, uh, Great is thy faithfulness. And then right in the middle of all those acrostics, we see in verse 31, he says, For the Lord will not cast off forever, though he causes grief, he will, not sh he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly, nor grieve his children, the children of men. And so again, those beautiful verses that are right in the middle of uh, a poem like that. And so we see now in chapter, uh, or Psalm 11, as we turn back to that, we see that uh, we have an acrostic, which deals with the idea of it. It's an exhortation to praise the Lord and to, of course, emphasizes uh, that the Lord will meet our, our every need. And then in uh, the acrostic of Psalm 112, 
is the rewards of those who will trust in the Lord and watch what he can do in not only meeting needs, but blessing the people who will love him. So this is kind of a pair. We'll look at Psalm 111 today. But I ran across something today uh, in my study. Um, uh, There is a, in 1870, there was a, 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 I don't know, I've looked up in the internet, I can't find it, but it's called the Four Friends. I think they must have been four theologians or whatever, but uh, they wrote the the, uh, Psalm chronology arranged. In other words, um, they tried to figure out, as we said, when these psalms were written, and I will tell you the time period. These Psalm 11 and 12, 111 and 112, sound like they were, or they, they're from the post-exilic after they came back from Babylon, and they're reestablishing their um, their services and so forth. But uh, but it's uh, called one of the uh, the key cha- key books in the 1800s. I mean, it was one that uh, a lot of people looked to, including Spurgeon. And so what I did, what they did with uh, this psalm was they uh, took the ABCs of the American alphabet and tried to uh, make an acrostic out of it for us. And so I tried to give it to you. Actually, in chapters and verses 1 through 6, you'll see um, the Lord praised for his works. Then we see in verses 7 through 9, he's praised for his word. And then in verse 10, which is actually uh, uh, three different, or three more, or six verses, or six verses there, anyway, or six phrases, we'll see that he's praising, um, or we see his wisdom, praising the Lord for his wisdom. So uh, we're to praise the Lord for what he's done, what he's doing through his word, and for the wisdom he will give to those who will follow him. So you'll notice uh, in Psalm 111, let's just read it. Uh, He says, praise the Lord. That word praise the Lord is hallelujah. So that's why when you say hallelujah, you're saying praise the Lord. When you're saying praise the Lord, you're saying hallelujah. So that's uh, the Hebrew term for, um, for hallelujah. He said, or praise the Lord. He says, I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, studied by those who have pleasure in them. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He has given food to those who fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. Um, He has declared to his people the power of his works in giving them the the heritage of nations. The works of his hands are verity and justice. All his precepts are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding of all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. So we see he begins, and, and this is, as we, as I put in the notes, uh, one of the ways to memorize 
uh, and of course, putting things to music and putting them with simple ABCs. Even the way that we teach children, A, B, C, D, it's interesting how that we use music as well as repetition to, uh, to get things into our heads. And so we see, first of all then, hallelujah, and now let's look at his works. And you'll notice that I, what I did here is um, I just copied what um, these four friends in 1870 wrote about this. I'm going to try to give you a, 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 real, how to real, a realization of the character of a psalm or an acrostic. And so what they did, they um, anglicized it, if you want to call that, put it in English, and uh, they left out C, Q, W, and X. So uh, they came up with the 22 letters, um, that, uh, and they just go down the list. And notice he says, I will praise the Lord with all my heart. And that's where they begin. All my heart shall praise Jehovah uh, before the congregation. So there's the B. And so you'll see that each one of these phrases in the Psalms it begins with the next successive letter in the assembly of the upright and uh, in the congregation. So I will praise with all my heart before the congregation. Uh, the, and the, what do I do? The deeds of Jehovah. The works of our Lord are great. And the word studied there in the New King James as it has is earnestly desired. If you like something, then you research it you look at it you know people know baseball uh, fans will know the the eras eras of a pitcher the batting averages of of uh batters and all these different things well they study it or they they keep uh, keep it in their minds and that's the idea here is that the works of the lord are great and we as we study them uh they uh, we have the more we learn about the lord what a blessing it is um, to see what God has done uh, in our lives and what he's doing around us. And so we study uh, the Lord and study what he's done. Um, and so we see then the works then that he has done, his work is honorable and glorious. It always is. God uh, created the heavens and earth and he saw that it was what? good. And so we see that uh, and his righteousness endures forever. And so he hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. And Jehovah is compassion and goodness. Notice uh, he has made his wonderful works to be remembered. And the word remembered there is the idea not only just that we think about him, but that we proclaim him. And that's one reason we want to, you know, with children as well as with adults, we want to sing the praises of God as far as our country. We want to... You know, sing the Star Spangled Banner. We want to, we want to memorize different things like uh, the Gettysburg Address or the Preamble to the Constitution. All those things we need to get into our head. And of course, those are the things that, uh, unfortunately, many of our anti-American school system people are trying to to eradicate from children's memories. But he says he has made it as wonderful works to be remembered and repeated and proclaimed and drilled into our heads. That's basically what he's meaning. And so it's our heritage. It's our culture. It's the things that we grow up knowing. It's our ABCs of our existence. So he made his wonderful works to be remembered. 
Now he's going to go into this. He is gracious and full of compassion. He has given food to them that fear him. Now, uh, who did he give food to? Every day he gave it to them. And then he squeezed water out of a rock, right? Or actually he broke the rock or hit the rock. Hit, uh, well, anyway, water came from the rock. And so we see that uh, he has given food to them that fear him. And he is ever mindful or forever mindful of his covenant. Now that's, as again, we say that when God promises something, he will fulfill it. And so he's ever mindful, he's forever mindful of that covenant, as the King James would say. And so he, the promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be fulfilled. That's the reason there will be a millennium. That's the reason God will reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. And the Jewish nation will be, or the Jew, will be uh, his people. And they will have their land, to all of it that he promised them. Now, there is a, a, a new the chain of thought that's kind of hitting some of our younger generation, and they call it uh, replacement theology. And this is the idea that the church has replaced Israel. Well, God, God, the church has not replaced Israel. You'll see that uh, the church is a parenthesis in Israel's, Israel's history. The church, as we've seen in the book of Acts, started... And we know in the book of Thessalonians, it will end at a certain time. And what is that? The rapture. And so the church will be called into heaven. And of course, the book of Revelation also. And then the bulk of the book of Revelation deals with the Jewish nation. And how that God calls them back, even in the time of Jacob's trouble. But if it's the time of Jacob's trouble, which is the second half of the tribulation, who is Jacob? Israel. And so we see that uh, Israel still has its place and there are those who, I don't know, they really convolute uh, prophecy and uh, I won't get too deeply into it, but if you ever hear of replacement theology or that the church has replaced Israel, uh, that, is, that is not true. That's, just, that's because the, Bi- the Bible is a Jewish book. It's Jewish prophecy all the way through with the Gentiles thrown in there as a parenthetical. And of course, we know the age of the Gentiles mentioned by Ezekiel and Daniel. Uh, when the, the Spirit of the Lord left the temple and he went out through the Eastern Gate, and we've traced that several times in the book of Ezekiel, but also in chapter 44, he comes back through that Eastern Gate, so he will return. And that was not the triumphal entry that we read about in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. No, that wasn't John also. But, uh, but no, the tri- the, technically the triumphal entry is going to be when he rides in on a white horse, not on a mule or on a donkey, excuse me. And so we see that, uh, um, that he remembers his covenant forever. And to, to, to the Jew, that is still very precious. To a Christian Jew, that is extremely precious. And that's one of the key um, points that they try to get around to their unsaved brethren. And so we see he has declared to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. And again, if you look at verse 6, you know, he's leading, uh, you know, there again, I think they had to stretch a little bit, learning his people the power, uh, the power of his works. Well, 
that's the yell, but uh, that's not good English either for a good Englishman. So, <laughs> but uh, we see that he is, but notice he's making them to possess the heritage of the heathen. Now, who's the heathen? Of course, they possessed the land of the Canaanites. And so we see then his marvelous works. We're going to praise him for what he has done. But then we're also going to praise him for what he has said, his word. He says in verse 7, the works of his hands are verity and justice. That's uh, the idea of equity or the idea of, um, of just or perfection. So whatever he does is going to turn out right because he judges rightly. And so we see that not save, or in other words, nothing but the truth and equity are, his, uh, are the works of his hands. And so, and he orders, he's, he's ordered and he's, he's sure of his, his commandments are sure. That means they're very stable. That means uh, that uh, you can rely on them. Um, surety is guarantees. If I'm the surety for you, then actually I'm a co-signer for you. I'm guaranteeing that you're going to pay your bills. And that's not a good idea to do because 85% of the people who co-sign wind up paying the bill. So even the book of uh, Proverbs tells you that. tells us not. It doesn't say 85%, but it says it's foolishness to do it. So uh, we see that um, that, th- that is the idea of surety, though, is somebody's going to back it up. And, of course, the Lord backs it up with his name. And so... Uh, it's impossible for him to lie. And notice he, he says, they stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. And so again, we see that they're planted fast forever and ever in righteousness and um, true or his testimonies. Uh, he has sent redemption and that's the key. I mean, that's uh, a key phrase, salvation to his people. Now notice that his people did not earn redemption or they didn't request redemption. God said it, just like with you and me. Who called who? God called you and you responded. God is always the initiator in salvation. No one says, you know, I just got smart enough one day, I got saved. No, it was the Holy Spirit working in someone's heart. And no man can come to the Father except the Spirit draw him. So we see that uh, he, was, he sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. So we see that we praise the Lord for his salvation of his people. The covenant, and by the way, we're in the new covenant. And part of that covenant is whosoever believeth in him should not perish but I have everlasting life. That's a promise. And so if we believe in him, we're part of that new covenant of salvation through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to the Gentiles as well as to the Jew. So then we praise the Lord for his wisdom. And notice the rewards that he gives. The fear of the Lord is the very basis. The word beginning doesn't mean only the start. It means the very basis of, of learning. So if you leave the basic truth out of some, out of anything you're teaching, then everything else you're teaching becomes skewed. For instance, let me uh, show you something. Do you realize that the population is getting smaller? Because 
How many parents did you have? Two. How many grandparents did you have? Four. How many great-grandparents did you have? Eight. How many great-grandparents did you have? Sixteen. So there's 16 people, or add all that up. Um, and so there's over 30 people right there before you to be born. So look at that. The populations are getting smaller because of you. Now, I left out one basic truth that, mess, that changes that whole argument around. What is that? Death. Right? And so we see the population isn't getting smaller. Someone says figures don't lie, but liars figure. And so right there is a, you know, a case in point. And so when you start off, uh, you know, how sad it is, uh, all the stuff that... Uh, uh, math is racist now, so if you teach a child that 2 plus 2 is 4, then it's racist. Oh, my. I mean, we are damning a whole bunch of children to hell, or no, excuse me, to ignorance, if we're teaching that type of thing, especially in elementary school where they've got to learn the basics. And to say that it's racist to learn the timetables? Oh, boy, I mean, folks... We, we're in a mess with our education system. No wonder most of the kids, what was it, in Baltimore, not one kid could read on his grade level nor do the math on his math level. And so how sad that is. I mean, if that's what they're teaching, uh, they don't have a chance. They'll always be poor. They'll always be backwards. Who, Whatever, you know, and since most uh, big cities are, you know, the majority of the black, uh, the inner cities are black. And if they're teaching that, they'll never come out of that servitude, out of that ignorance. And so how sad that is. But the fear of the Lord is the basis of wisdom. And when God says two plus two is four, what does that mean? <laughs> two plus. I mean, so those are, those are things, the soul that sinneth shall surely die. You know, that's, that's a, the truth also. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. So do you want good understanding? So do you want a basis for wisdom? And do you want good understanding? The more that we fear the Lord, the wiser we're going to be, the more that he's going to give us insights to problems and, and even into the world's situation as well as uh, loving and caring for other people. Uh, all those good understanding is the idea that, hey, you start learning what life is all about. Uh, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. And so you see, yeah, there are bad things happen in life, but then you start understanding, you start understanding uh, why a lot of it's sin, or you start seeing uh, how that God is preserved and God blesses in spite of our sin and all those different things that we under, start understanding. Then you're dealing with, dealing with people, the fear of the Lord, knowing how to deal with people and get, asking God for insight in doing that. All the things that come from fearing the Lord. And then, of course, he says, and his praise endures, well, let's see, a good understanding of all those who uh, do his commandments, those do his commandments, but then his praise endures forever. Now, you'll notice that uh, in your outline that I, I made the outline. And what it, you see those little, what are those called, Judy? 
those, uh, not parentheses, but the little curlicues, is it called a bracket? Then you have a bracket that is straight. Uh, is that a bracket also? Well, anyway, no, I thought a bracket was the one that, you know, went out and then down and straight. And then this one, uh, most, both of them might be brackets. Okay, whatever. But uh, the, uh, so I, all the one, everything that's in the brackets are mine. But now, notice there's five forevers. Notice in verse 3, he says, His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. God is righteous. That means he's a straight arrow. That means that everything he does is perfect. Um, I like I like to explain that the, when a Jew draws a perfectly straight line, in Jewish thinking, that is a righteous line. So, all of, so we're unrighteous. So what have we done? We've gone astray. We've gotten off the line. And so. The word righteous is the idea of perfect, perfectly straight, perfectly mathematical, whatever you, whatever design it is, it's perfect. It's straight, straight and narrow. So we see he and his righteousness will endure, endure forever. Think about the universe. It's a righteous in a way. Now, of course, sin has upset a lot of things. But why don't we have... If we had an unrighteous universe, we'd have stars banging into one another. We'd be in all kinds of trouble. But God set things up in a perfect manner. And so even though sin has really wrecked it, the whole creation groans until now, which means that uh, uh, we still have problems with Romans chapter 8. But one day it's going to be perfect again. And when we walk those streets of gold, they're going to be pure gold the only and when light hits them is when they're going to sparkle, but gold today, as we said, um, the the more yellow it is or golden it is, the more impurity it has in it. Because uh, gold, any of those minerals in heaven are perfect glass until light shines on them, and refraction is what gives them their color. And so, even streets of pure gold, streets of you know. Uh, or, or we have all the different stones and everything. They're they're beautiful, but they refract different kinds of light because of their nature, and not because of their impure color that we know we know of. So we see that uh, righteousness is forever. Notice in verse five, he says he has given food to him that fear him, and he will forever be mindful of his covenant. So we've explained that. So his covenant to, to Israel is forever. Even the, uh, the, the walls of, Jeru- of uh, the New Jerusalem are named after Israel. And so we see all these things that uh, God is not why because his covenant is forever. Uh, then also in verse 8, we see uh, they stand fast forever and ever. What is it? The works of his hands. So we see that... Uh, or verity and justice. So his justice and his equity and his, and his uh, blessing through his, the way he treats people is going to be forever. And so again, we see the idea of stands forever. Then in verse 9, we see his commands, the commands of his covenant are forever. And then his praise is going to be forever in verse 10. So this is a 
chapter or a psalm that deals with the eternality of God and how that we're to praise him because we're going to be with him forever. And so cheer up, folks. It's going to get better. This whole world's not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The hope of the believer, the hope of Israel, the hope of anyone who knows God is that one day we're going to be, be with him forever. And what a blessing that is. Even Job, the first book of the Bible, said, uh, if a man die, will he live again? And of course, the answer is yes. And then he turns around and says, I know my Redeemer lives. Right, so I'm going to be with him forever. And so we see that that was the hope of from the very beginning. And I said, Job was probably written during the time of Abraham, which would have been before Moses wrote the book of Genesis. Uh, there's just too many... Uh, uh, I like to call them uh, date uh, dates or things that indicate uh, timestamps is what I call them uh, in the book of Job that tells us it was it was before the time of Moses and so uh, again I think Job was probably the first book but it began you know I know my redeemer lives and that he'll be forever and of course I like the the end of Job when he goes through all that trouble. And then the Lord gives him 54 questions and every one of them dealt with creation. Where were you when I did this? Where were you? And Job sits back and says, I don't know. You know, I wasn't around. But then the Lord points him through creation, points him to eternity. And so, again, uh, I know my creator lives and I know my redeemer lives. He created me and he promised me and I know he will do it and I will praise him how long? forever. We've no less days to sing his praise than when we, what? First begun. Okay. Any questions or comments about what we looked at tonight?